This message comes from NPR sponsor Hulu. Don't miss the new docuseries Black Twitter, a people's history. From memes to movements, see how this powerful online community shapes culture and society. Black Twitter, a people's history, is now streaming on Hulu. From NPR Music, this is All Latino. I'm Felix Contreras. And I'm Ana Maria Sayer. Let the chisme begin. Okay, Anna, every week we talk on Zoom and I recognize the background, but now I'm seeing something I don't recognize. Where are you? <laughs> Surprise, I'm in Mexico City. <laughs> what? <laughs> what, are you, what are you doing there? Okay, well, everyone has been constantly telling me that if I want to have the most beautiful, diverse, amazing musical experience, that I have to get myself to Mexico City. And so that's precisely what I decided to do, Felix. Okay, I'm cool with that. So what have you heard so far? Well, very excited to share that one of my first stops here was actually to visit an old friend of yours, Felix, Camilo Lara. Camilo Lara is one of the nicest guys in the music business, and he's also one of the most prolific music producers out there. I had to go there first because everyone has always talked to me about the famous Camilo Lara studio here in Mexico City. It's like the home base for so many artists. They come, it's in the heart of La Roma. So many people have gone through those doors, worked on their albums, created something special. So I had to be there. My conversations with him in the past have always been centered around what he creates in that studio. I've always been impressed by the fact that he has big ears, as people in the music business say. He listens to a lot of different types of music, and he produces a lot of different types of music. And I think that's reflected in how he grew up there in Mexico City. You know, we got to chat about that and so much about what it means for him to exist in multiple worlds. Here's my conversation with Camilo. I learned English at school and through the Beatles. Uh, like everyone, everyone here in Mexico, probably the Beatles had a lot to do <laughs> to learn Spanish, learn uh-huh. English. Uh, it was funny because when I was growing up and I was listening, I didn't know what they were saying. Uh, like I was listening to Bob Dylan or Los Lobos or later I discovered they were great lyricists. Uh, but at the beginning, it was just about uh, music. So you had to fall in love with the sound first before anything, no? Always, always. always. I still, when I'm listening to music in English, mm-hmm. I it's hard to me to keep on with the lyrics. I had mm-hmm. to listen several times yeah. to understand what they're saying. Is it different for you? Like what you what you hear first, is it different for you when you listen to a song in Spanish? Absolutely. And I think uh, in general, Spanish-speaking music the mix of the music, it's way different than the English one. Lyrics are way up on the mix, the vocalists. So, and in English, it seems to me sometimes it's just an, one instrument more, and it's a different take huh. on how people mix in the U.S. and in Mexico, yeah. definitely. Why do you think that is? 
we have a big legacy on lyrics, and and I think uh, they are really important most of the time, and the people really want to the audience to understand what they're singing. Mm. So, for example, in pop music, you can tell like. In Spanish, it's loud, and people care about lyrics a lot. Mm -hmm. And I think in English, not not all the time. Like uh, there's some music that is very heavy on on the message, but mm -hmm. there's some music that the the singer can be like uh, one one more player in the mm -hmm. band. It strikes me as interesting that the lyrics seem to be the most important thing, even though there's such a variety of types of sounds here. Yeah, well, I guess. The Mexican songbook, like the Mexican Gershwin or the yeah. Mexican uh, Bernstein, uh -huh. is uh, people that really were into amazing lyrics, like Jose Alfredo Jiménez, Juan Gabriel. Tú eres la tristeza y de mis ojos que lloran en silencio por tu amor. Me miro en el espejo y veo en mi rostro there are so many songwriters that were defining what we were as a nation mm -hmm. through the lyrics. Mm -hmm. So that Mexican songbook has been very powerful and, and, and it's very interesting how new generation are still taking a look on that and being influenced by, mm. by those um, fantastic song songwriters and mm -hmm. Uh, you can see in on those lyrics like some hints of what we are as a nation. There is a lot of values that they are floating around in Mexican culture, and yeah. and you can tell they are on those songs. So for you as a producer, as someone who works with, with so much sound, do you feel like there are ways that you try or just naturally do represent those values or those things that were started by those artists in, in your sound? Yeah. I love and I always love tropical music, music that uh, like cumbia, danzón, cha-cha-cha, mambo, all the music that was uh, made for dance floor. But I also love the classical Mexican songwriters that were fantastic songwriters uh, and they had uh, magical lyrics. But I guess at the beginning of uh, when I was starting to do music, I found that there was a very important connection between rhythm, uh, local rhythm that was happening since the 40s, 30s in, in Mexico, and electronic music and hip hop and all the stuff that I was listening when I was growing up. So. I always was very interesting on making that connection that, that it doesn't matter how old the music is or where it comes from, it can live together in a universal dance floor. And for me, that's cumbia, for example, that just cross borders and it, it can be played next to a hip hop track and it sounds great. <laughs> Looking for M's like I lost a friend. Jump out of my bed like where that bread. You go hold the egg. Waiter, bring a check. When we talk, we collect the cough. Keep us in your thoughts. Really pressed at the crack of dawn. Weapons letting off. I can hear them from the block. See them creeping through the floor. Jesus greetings, like greedy season can start. Oh my god. Look alive. Looking like I live life on a crooked line. 
growing up here, what was the first moment for you that you really thought, like, I'm going to start making music? I, I feel like this is something that I have to do. I was super young, like, probably, like, 14, 15, and I, I started to sneak into parties and going to raves <laughs> and just hanging out with friends and listening to hip-hop uh, some amazing records that were happening at the end of the 90s. So I thought that was what I wanted to do. But at the same time, I had the, I started sampling, and all the samplings came from old records, old Mexican or Cuban or Colombian records. Mm -hmm. So it didn't matter how much I tried to sound like Kraftwerk. I <laughs> end up sounding more like Totola, Mopocina, mm -hmm. or... Um, tropical music from Latin America because the samplers were originally from that. I embrace it. I think it, it defined my personality as a musician to understand where I was from and, and what I wanted to do and try to be proud of that. So I started DJing at rapes and parties where electronic music was happening and they were like, oh dude, like you're playing cumbia, like what's wrong with you? Like, <laughs> Cumbia is for other, like, don't play cumbia here. And, and This is the worst party ever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I was very unpopular until I was not. Uh, uh, it took me a lot of years to convince people that cumbia was cool. And and uh, at the same time, there was a, my generation, there were a bunch of people doing that in Colombia, in Argentina, in the U.S., everywhere, I think, my generation kind of grew up playing that in clubs and trying to experiment with that. So mm -hmm. I was not alone. Yeah. <laughs> and and suddenly, after many years, I think it, it happened and it was yeah. fantastic. Yeah, I was going to say, what, what changed in the city? Did something change where people became more open, more receptive, more excited about sounds like cumbia? Yeah, I think it was when I was growing up, when people asked me how was Mexico City at that time, I I always said it was like, I was never in New York, but I think it was like the movie After Hours by Scorsese <laughs> uh, in New York, that everything was kind of chaotic and, and very rough and and wild and Every night was a, like a different adventure. But at the same time, there were a lot of clusters of people doing interesting stuff. There were the filmmakers and the people on theater and the, the musicians. And, and we all hung out at the same party. So you kind of knew what the other mm -hmm. artistic combos were doing. So it was it was very healthy and it was wild like it was it was the city was super violent super mm -hmm. dangerous uh, mm -hmm. but exciting and and fun it's way different from what it is now Mexico City Mexico City now is a very sophisticated capital I always say Mexico City is a 30 million city but we all know each other Cuánto tiempo va a pasar para que pueda mejorar Todos somos víctimas de un estado confiscado Con un gobierno involucrado en las ganancias de el narco Es una nación podrida con la población herida So fast forward from all of that, now you have this studio in La Roma, and it's very different, I'm assuming, from, from what it was before. 
Why is this where you decided to make your, your home base for your music, for your production? The La Roma earthquake of 85, mm -hmm. many buildings uh, fall down. And until the 90s, um, it kind of got empty. So when I moved here, it was very cheap place to live and to own a pro property and to have a studio. Then gentrification happened as everywhere in the world, and it became there open galleries and then condos, and then it's just a, a lot of place with a lot of coffees and mm -hmm. restaurants. And so, but at, at the beginning, it was like an area where all the young people was living because. Um, it was affordable and it was easy to live. And I'm one of the original <laughs> yeah. uh, from back in the day. And I decided to put my studio because uh, it's still a great area. And it still feels very like a lot of uh, musicians and, and people from art lives here. So what does it take? I mean, as an artist, like what what does it take to be able to walk through these doors and, and work with you? What, is, what do you look for in, in artists you work with? I mean, that, probably that's what I'm interested in, on, people that have a center as, a, as an artist and uh, can be expressed in lyrics, can be expressed in, in music, and people that understand their DNA as, as a creator. And that's very exciting when you find someone that has their own voice, their own sound, their own idea of what their art is, and, uh, and they express it in various ways. Mm-hmm. But when working with como a less established artist or someone who's still figuring out what that DNA is, do you see yourself as someone who's helping them discover that? Of course. Yeah, that's that's a process. And I, I think you never end up figuring out who you are at all. But you're, you're trying, at least. And I think uh, that's the beauty of it. I think music, in a way, is, is an open diary of who you are at the moment you created it. So it's always great to see how people are finding their own voice and experimenting and getting into conclusions or uh, into mistakes also. Uh, that's that's the beauty of, of creating music. Do you see certain messages or certain values when you hear that expressed in a song? Do, do certain things feel more important than others to you to express lyrically in a song? I would say the only thing I, I like is to have a, your own personality. I respect and admire people that have a whole universe inside and they're just trying to let that show to the world. And I think that's that what makes us unique and different from each other. And that's, that's the beauty of it. I don't love um, derivative stuff and people that are trying to follow trends and I think uh, I'm more into the rebels of the whole thing. We'll be right back with Ana Maria's conversation with Camilo Lara right after this break. This message is brought to you by NPR sponsor Progressive Insurance. You call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the name your price tool from Progressive. Tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options within your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. This message comes from NPR sponsor Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. 
From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sell without needing to code or design. Just bring your best ideas and Shopify will help you open up shop. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash NPR. Jasmine Morris here from the StoryCorps podcast. Our latest season is called My Way. Stories of people who found a rhythm all their own and marched to it throughout their lives. Consequences and other people's opinions be damned. You won't believe the courage and audacity in these stories. Hear them on the StoryCorps podcast from NPR. So for you, when you make music personally, how do you find your own distinct voice message? I mean, you're working with like a million different types of people and artists and sounds and you're the cumbia guy and you're the electronic guy and you're all these different things but when you sit down to write your songs to make your music how do you how do you find your own personal identity it's funny because i over the years my music has a fit into my culture my community where i'm from that has been my only steady thing in what i have done and uh, but if you have that as a starting point, you can do traditional music or electronic music or experimental music. Now that I have many years, uh, I have a quite a few years uh, working on music, I can see that as the unificator of what I've been doing. And I think music should be a, an agent of change in your community and to portray your community, to help your community. So I think that's what my motto and my mantra is that. Uh, I think through music you can change, not the world because uh, it's very ambitious, but at least your <laughs> luck. Si me encontrara a Dios, le pediré unas quesadillas. Si me encontrara a Dios, le pediré unas quesadillas. Si me encontrara al chamuco, how do you feel like you get to do that being here what what does that look like for you Many ways. Uh, it's ambitious, but it's like kind of an action plan. I have the studio as a place that can be helpful for people doing music. I And I also collaborate with a lot of uh, young people and different artists to create community and to, to try to, to get the word out there, what is happening here. So I, I think that plan can change your block. And I, I do believe uh, if you change your block, you can change your state, then your city, the country, but you have to change yourself first. <laughs> meaning what? <laughs> meaning, meaning. Um, I do believe in collaboration, in community, and uh, once once you have that, I think you can start uh, operating and, and helping. What do you think in you made you feel like you wanted to create that community? I mean, you don't have to want to change your block, right? You have to. I mean, uh, that's all you have. Like, I think we are a product of uh, where we are and a product of the influences we were either uh, geographically or mentally. My influences were also music uh, from the UK or hip-hop or 
but I, I feel I'm part of that community too. Everything you consume in terms of creative creativeness makes you who you are. That's important to me. It's really interesting to me that there is a huge burgeoning rap scene here that I, I feel like I've been talking to a lot of people about that since I've gotten here. Does that feel... I don't know. There's so many sounds and, and types of music that have come out of here. Is there something specifically you think about right now that is creating that moment musically in the city? Yes. It's the golden age of hip-hop in, in Mexico. Hip-hop eight years ago was something that was marginal. And I think this new generation completely changed the whole, the whole idea that hip-hop can be something powerful and commercial and these kids just came and did a whole different idea of what hip hop was and 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 now you have a super healthy scene yeah uh, not only in Mexico City like Santa Fe clan is from Guanajuato or Aleman is from uh, Los Cabos it's no the product is from LA but um, she's bicultural and she's amazing like it's very exciting to see it blossom and how does that, how does working with artists like that differ for you than working with an artist who's, say, doing like way more classic stuff that's super traditional or more lyrics focused or whatever it might be? How does that differ for you? It might sound weird, but I think uh, when you work with Santa Fe Clan or with Lila Downs, they all have the same energy as creators. And what I mean is uh, they both have a, a very clear idea of what they are and what they're not. doesn't matter if you do electronic music or hip-hop or, or traditional music. If you're one of those artists that glow and that have a, a very clear idea of who you are as an artist, it's kind of the same, uh, the same energy. And, and I, I love it because there's beauty in all genres and there's beauty in different expressions of music. Uh, so I feel very lucky to be a double agent and to be the <laughs> traditional or super modern artist. They don't know. They, they don't, don't know. know. <laughs> and don't tell them. <laughs> With Santa Fe Clan, you're the cool hip-hop producer. How much of you is in that, in both, in bo with both of those artists, with all those kinds of artists? How much of Camilo is in in that music, though? A lot. It's a, it's a. I think, of course, it's their project and it's their idea, but it's a journey you take together. And it's a, the songs that you record are like a diary, and what you 
were thinking on that exact day and what you thought it was good to do on that day. Probably in a month you listen and you were like, oh, I would do the music different or the lyrics I would change. But um, that's a snapshot of who you were. So it's a journey and, and that's, that's the beauty. It's uh, the complicity of being together and create something and something came out and for good or for bad, that stays as it is. Mm-hmm. That has to be kind of crazy for you, though, because it's like you're reading someone's diary. That's the relationship. It is absolutely intimate. <laughs> it's super <laughs> intimate. And at the same time, it's, um, it's something that's meant to be public, but that it comes from a very private place. That's the beauty of music. Uh, you chase moments and feelings and can be very personal. And at the same time, so universal because um, we kind of all go to the bathroom, uh, smile, laugh, uh, have broken hearts. We all feel. We all kind of uh, (laughs) do the same, have the same machinery. That's so interesting to me because you're, you are so distinct in that you are so influenced by the city and, and your experiences here and all the different sounds. But then at the end of the day, you're just trying to create something universal. Or particular. Or I think particular. I, I, I would like to think more than I'm creating something so intimate that uh, someone will connect with that in that intimate place. But, I mean, the ultimate goal is to be universal, but uh, that's uh, more ambitious. Yeah. Does it feel weird for you because you work with so many artists where you're like, you as an artist might feel this is super distinct or, or, or individual or unique, but I've worked with 50 artists, and so I, I, in a way, I, I almost feel like I have heard or seen a little bit of this before. Does that ever happen to you? No, uh, <laughs> I hope never happens because it's, even though you're, it's not like doing pizzas. Like you can, I think a pizza, you can do the same recipe over and over and over and over. And the minute you start doing that with music, it's became a pizza. And I think that's the beauty of, of songs like, most of them last between two and four minutes. Most of them have chorus and verses. But what happens is, and the way you make it, it's like a fingerprint. It becomes uh, very particular and very different. So thinking on one song as a fingerprint, it makes you understand that even though they have the same elements, they can be absolutely different. And from the way they are created to the way they, are, they end up sounding We kind of started by talking about the greats that have lived here and and their lyricism and the the reasons that, like you said, people gravitate towards the lyrics, towards the emotion. Do you feel like there's an equivalent of that today, like a type of music or an artist or something that that is being created today that is really, the people are gravitating towards that expression? Oh, yeah. I mean, not so long ago, I was here at the studio with Silvana Estrada, which is, for example... (sighs) Probably uh, one of the most exciting voices in Mexican music. I don't know. I mean, there is a very healthy scene of people just creating beautiful songs. And a lot. There's a lot. (laughs) Yeah. What do you think about them makes it so special? They are reinventing the language and they are reinventing the convention of, of being a crooner. And that's always exciting when... People that know how to play a game and they just reimagine it, I think that's that's what is happening. And they are adapting it to be contemporary and having, and being part of the discussion. 
I don't know, Sil Silvana Estrada is a, is a great example. This, uh, their music is related to all the Latin American singers from the 60s and 70s, but her take on that is for the future. Is In a way, her music is futuristic and it's very now and it showcases Mexico today. You know, Felix, it is honestly so ironic to me that he ended that interview telling me about all of the artists that are showcasing Mexico today because sitting in that studio, I felt like I was watching Mexico on display through the art that he is creating. That's always been the case. That's so funny that you say that because I've always had the same feeling after talking to him and watching his music again over the years and all the things that he's produced. There's something about the way that he embodies the energy of not only Mexican music as it stands right now, because he's working on everything, no? Like, he is really representing the gamut of what is Mexican music at this moment, but also just the ways that you can chart the history of the city through his experiences. I mean, there's, there's few people that I think hold that much of the heart of a city and, and, and the artistic expression of a city in their, in their own personal story. I'm really glad we got a chance to catch up to Camilo and fill us in on what he's doing and what he's thinking about in the future. I'm going to be looking for his name in film credits a little bit more moving forward. Oh my God, Felix, he showed me a score he's working on. I was practically in tears. I can't wait to hear it and to see it since it's going to be part of a film. And that's going to do it for our show this week. Alt Latino is a production of NPR Music. Huge thanks to our editor, Hazel Sills. And also big thanks to Grace Chung, who keeps things under control. And our production assistant, Jerusalem Truth. And our interns, Sofia Seidel and Pilar Galvan. And, of course, big thanks to our audio editor, Robin Hilton. And the jefe-in-chief, <laughs> Keith Jenkins. I'm Felix Contreras. I'm Ana Maria Sayer. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening. This message comes from NPR sponsor, the Capital One Venture X Card. Earn unlimited 2X miles on everything you buy. Plus, get access to a $300 annual credit for bookings through Capital One Travel. What's in your wallet? Terms apply. Details at CapitalOne.com. This message comes from NPR sponsor, Capella University. With Capella's FlexPath learning format, you can earn your degree online at your own pace and get support from people who care about your success. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. On this week's Wild Card, we talk with Issa Rae about those moments where our lives could have gone another direction. Definitely wasn't supposed to be with that guy at all. At all. But I still think about it. I'm Rachel Martin. Issa Rae tells us how to make peace with the path not taken. That's on the Wild Card podcast from NPR, the game where cards control the conversation. 